How's everybody doing? Man, it's been rowdy all morning. Like, it has been one of those days. Like, the, the nine, I mean, it was like crazy. You guys are a little bit crazy, and I like that. That's, that's amazing. And I love Dave, man. It's so, it's so easy. I feel so, you've like created like a little space up here. There's a hug it out aura that Dave creates when he, when he hosts. I mean, I just, it's, it's amazing. It is great to have um, people that, you, um, that honor you and that is your friend um, uh, that you work with uh, and that you've, you've, you're in the trenches with. Um, and I love you, Dave. This is amazing. Um, you know, I'm excited about today, and one of the reasons is this doesn't happen all the time to me because I, I plan out, uh, you know, pretty pretty much in advance. Our elders are good about helping me plan um, teaching for you know six month month chunks, and uh, uh, we usually don't deviate too much from that. Um, but you always want to be open to the Holy Spirit as you change and as things are happening, um, and just this season of being able to do the life course again after, you know, we, it's 2019 was the last time that we did it. And uh, the whole world has changed since then. Um, and I look at pictures of myself in 2019. I'm like, I'm getting older so fast. Like I look at the pictures. I'm like, oh my goodness, I was a young man in 2019. Uh, but it's just in this season and where God's leading us as a church, you know, over this next season, uh, we just changed gears in the middle of the week. And uh, so my talk's completely different. I dumped what I had. Um, and I really, uh, I really, feel like this is where, where God has us this morning, especially, you know, jumping into the life course and uh, um, what we're doing in this next season. So if you got your Bible, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, very familiar passage to many of you. Um, and I think, it, you know, for many churches, it's probably, you know, one of the banners that you see uh, for who we are supposed to be as believers. But this is Jesus speaking to his future followers, really, because nobody really knew what it meant to follow Jesus at this point in Matthew chapter 5. Um, but he says to them, you are the light of the world. He says, you're going to be a town, a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Now, if you read that passage out of context and not knowing all of Scripture, not knowing who Jesus is and how he leads and how he walks on planet Earth while he's here and how he's leading even in the room right now, you might get the sense that this is you know, a religious statement to say you know, when you're a church person that you would elevate yourself above everyone else because you've figured it all out now. Now that you know Jesus, now that you've become a Christian, that you, you are the city on a hill. And you're calling everybody else up to your, to your moral high ground. We're going to teach everybody else how to live because our life is rainbows and lollipops. But the reality is, is that we, we know that that's not true. Now, I know in religious circles, maybe that's the way that church is felt to you. But it really is the opposite of what Jesus is calling people to do. You know, when we, when we think that we're supposed to ascend what we see in Jesus that he always descends. And the reason he's descending is because he's showing us the road of humility. He, he had the right to be lifted up. He had the right to be on a throne and hold the scepter of authority, but he gave all of that away. And Jesus leads us to that place. And as I read this passage and I think about even where we're heading today, it reminds me, especially thinking about the life course, because the life course, the first time I ever did it, uh, was at River City Church. And I was a little bit of a doubter because I'm always like, you know, evangelism and, you know, talking to people about Jesus, introducing people to the idea of, is there a spiritual dimension to life? That should happen outside the walls of the church. It, should be, it shouldn't be a church thing. 
That's a relational thing. That is hanging out with my friends. That's inviting people over to your house. And over a long period of time, you talk to people about your life, how God's changed you. And as you build you know, credibility with people in relationship, then you can speak to them about Jesus. And so I looked at the life course from the outside going, ah, you know, I'm not sure. But anyway, that's where it all took place for me was at River City Church. And I remember I was on staff there for a couple of years and occasionally there'd be these moments in worship, maybe it happened, you know, today in the room, where it seems as though something's happening in the room that is transcending what the band's doing, what people are, when people are speaking and, and people are up front, there's just already something there. The Spirit of God's there. You can't even put your finger on it, but the, the temperature of the room just has, has changed. And this was one of those Sundays at River City. One of the things I loved about that church is I'd go there and you'd be in the middle of the, what, what was happening and you're like, this is what life's about. If there's a, there was an empty hole in my heart, the eternity in the hearts of, of men and women, this is what fills it. This is the spirit of God. This is experiencing God's love. And you really didn't know how to describe it, but in the middle of it, you were thinking, I wish I'd invited somebody to church today. Because it doesn't matter that people are crazy. I mean, people were doing the full-on Abitiano. You know, they were dancing, you know, and people were going crazy. So it might be weird church for people that don't go to church, but the Spirit of God transcended that. It wouldn't have mattered. If you'd never been to church before, you couldn't have denied God was there. You're just like, God, something's happening here. And in the middle of it, the host, the person that was doing Dave's job, the, the service leader, jumps up on stage and talks to the worship leader and says, hey, I think we're supposed to do this thing. And what was happening is during worship, it was like this big up song. Anybody remember Delirious, the band? Some of you, it was just all of the people a little bit, a little bit older. Uh, they had an album called Live and in a Can. I don't know if you remember that, that album, but it was like in a can. And inside of it was this thing called a CD. Um, it was amazing. You played music on it. Uh, but they had, they, one of the songs on, on that album was, Did You Feel the Mountains Tremble? Anybody? Come on. I mean, sing it, Gerald response song. Um, so we're singing, you know, do you, do you Feel the Mountains Tremble? And there's this big part in the song, in the chorus, and everybody's just singing it super loud. Everybody's dancing, and it's open up the doors, let the music play, let the streets resound with singing. Songs that bring your hope, songs that bring your joy, dancers will dance upon injustice. So this open up the doors lyric, and he says, hey, I think we're supposed to sing that song. I think we're supposed to sing it again. I think we're supposed to actually open up the doors of the church. And we were at the city rescue mission at the time. And just, to, just for anybody that's ever been there, when like we, we would worship there and the whole place would shake. Like not because the spirit of God was there and like Acts chapter two, it was because the place was rickety. I mean, it was like it was about to fall down. And the balcony, people would get in the balcony and I would used to lead worship there sometimes. And I would look around and I would think that that balcony could fall at any moment. I would look and literally be praying while I was playing guitar for the people underneath the balcony. Like, you know, you might see Jesus before all of us. And the, the projector would bounce and you couldn't even read the words on the lyrics when, when worship would go, go on. And so we're singing this. He says, let's open up the doors. And everybody just kind of goes, all right. And everybody just walks to there's two doors here, two doors here, and then two big, big doors in the back. And opens up the doors and everybody sings. Now, you're like, well, what does that do? Well, there was this almost this symbolic thing. Like, this is what the church should do. We need to open up the doors. What's happening in here, the spirit of God, the spirit of salvation, the spirit of redemption, the spirit of freedom, this is what I want to bring to the world. This is what I want the world to experience. And it was almost symbolic for River City Church, and it's symbolic for us today, this idea that as a church, as a house, as a, as a, a body 
of people that have been changed. And there's a lot of people in here that have been, your life has been resurrected by what Jesus has done in encountering you. The world needs to, to experience that. And we need to open up the doors of the house. We need to open up the doors. And this was the symbolic inviting of anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace that comes through Jesus in a, in a, in a different way. And I think about the life course. It's what, it's what God has called us to do. Now, when I thought about that, I, I, I reread Matthew 5, 14 through 16 in the message, and I loved it because what, what Dave said is so true, that we live in a society. In fact, I've, I've, I've looked at several studies that, you know, we make some assumptions about the world that we live in. We don't believe that people are open, but they're open. We don't believe that people are searching. We believe that people are polarized. They've got their own ideology. They've got their own politics. They've got their own spirituality, and they don't, they're not looking for anything. It's untrue, and this isn't preacher talk. This is what you would find in sociological studies about the culture that we're in. Oh, yes, it is a culture that pushes up against religion, but it is a, a culture that is very spiritual and very searching, seeking, and like Dave said, hurting. We live in a culture that is hurting, and it's very, the, 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 the soil is very fertile for the church, where I think, you know, grow, being in this this last, even this last three or four years, you might think, oh, nobody really likes church. Everybody's kind of quit going to church because of the pandemic. And they thought, hey, Sunday's at home. Kind of nice. Um, and people don't like it. But the, the reality is, is it's, it's something that the world is ready for and the hearts of the people are open for. And the, the poetic rendering by Eugene Peterson of this passage is amazing. He says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, you and me bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on the hilltop on a light stand, shine. And then he says this, and I love the, just the, the wording. He says, keep open house. Keep open house. It's just a, just a banner of hospitality for the church to say our homes should be open. Be generous with your, with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I absolutely love that translation of Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. And part of it is because I think sometimes we think that doctrine is our, our, our roadmap into leading someone into salvation. So if we don't have enough doctrine, if we don't have you know, everything worked out in our mind theologically, then we can't actually step into the idea of inviting people into church or talking to people about spiritual things because we don't know how to answer all the questions. Well, really, the essence is this hospitality here. How do I do it? I, I'm generous with my life. I open myself up to others. I keep open house. And I love that language because as a church, we, this, is, this is our house. We call it our house mainly because it says in, in Scripture, if you read, especially in Ephesians 2, the language Scripture uses when it describes the church is a house. That we are the household of God. We're being built together. We're being stacked together, woven together, brick by brick, right? Into the household of God in which Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. But I love that language as a house because you don't attend a house. 
And, and, and we tend to attend church. Like, you know, we get our latte and we attend and we're going to go here, we're going to go there. But you, you, no, you belong to a house. You belong to a house. And you invite people into the house. You're hospitable in the house. And for us, the life course, what we're getting ready to do at Surf for the Bar, what we're getting ready to do as we circle up in here, is we're, we're opening the doors in a different way. We're opening up our house. We're being hospitable as a church. And it is, is one of the coolest things that we do, one of the best opportunities that we have. And it takes the pressure off of trying to figure out, how, do I, how am I supposed to talk to, to people about Jesus? Actually, what we get to do is we're just creating a neutral ground in which people can answer and talk about the questions of life. They can open up and talk about what they believe, what they think, where their brokenness lies, what, what they would hope out of something spiritual, or why they're not spiritual, or why they don't like church, or why they don't like anything that has to do with God, but we're giving them a, a place to do that, a safe space for any of us to do that. And it's good for all of us. It's not a place where we sit on our high ground and go, we figured it all out and we know all the answers. We need to hear about Jesus too. We need to know who he is. We need to, we need to revisit the question. Why, why are we so drawn to the spiritual dimension in life? What is it about Jesus that, that saved our soul? What is it about who he is and how he operates that changed us? But as I was looking at this talk, you know, this, you know I was going to title it Why I Love the Life Course. I, I, it just changed, you know, on Thursday. I just said, this is, not, this is not about why I love the life course. It's about why I love Jesus. It's about why I love Jesus and how Jesus is the most hospitable. He's the one who blazed the, the trail of, of hospitality. And you might think, well, Jesus didn't, I mean, Jesus didn't have a house. Like he was, he's, I mean, Matthew, what does it say in Matthew 8? You know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was homeless. How could he be hospitable? How could he open up the doors and invite people in? He didn't have a front door, right? But, but hospitality, that, that's a heart, that's a mentality. That is a, that is a emotional and spiritual thing that God gives us as a gift. And it's not, it's not something that somebody is, you know, oh, you're the hospitable person and I'm not. God, across the landscape of the New Testament, including the elders. So if you're one of our elders in here, what does it say as your qualification at the very end? Be hospitable, meaning open up your home, be generous, be, be servant-hearted, be the person that invites people in. Give away your stuff in that process. Feed people, invite strangers into your home, be hospitable. But Jesus, without a house, how did he do this? How did he practice the heart of hospitality? How did he open the doors of the house? I have three things. The first one is Jesus was more real than religious. This is how he was hospitable in the world that he entered. When he entered humanity, coming from the place of being enthroned on high and entering in flesh as a human being, he came and he was more real than religious. Now, could he, did he know the religious stuff? Oh, yeah. You know, at age 12, they were amazed at what he could talk about. But he was more real than religious. I mean, think about the way, the things that Jesus did. He was always in that space, you know, kind of, he, he did, he solved real practical problems. Think about the first, I mean, talk about being real and, and, and not religious. I mean, what was his first miracle? Wine. He made wine. Some of you are like, yep, and I'm going to be about five o'clock. That's where I'm going to be. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he made wine. I know. So that's already making somebody that's religious nervous, right? 
Jesus made wine. And I know the argument, if you grew up in the Southeast, was what kind of wine was it? I mean, I don't know if you, I went to an independent Baptist high school. So it was like, it was the best Welch's you could buy. Um, I just don't think it was. I mean, at my wedding, I don't know if that's what we, we had. That's, I mean, you, you, he created wine. He created wine, solved a, a practical problem. And he made good wine. The best wine. I mean, the host, people were wondering, like, man, most people bring the good wine out to begin with. Like, they're like, let's give them the good wine. And then everybody starts to get a little bit, woo, dancing, and we'll give them Trader Joe's. You know, that's the way that it works. But you brought the, the good wine out at the end. It's, a, it's just the miracle. Jesus was solving real problems. He, he, he engaged in normal life. He cared about normal things, small things, and big things. He made religious people uncomfortable because he didn't, he didn't follow the cultural religious rules. And it seemed like in, in, in every way he was in being encountered by the religious to say, why are you doing this? Why, why are you doing things that you shouldn't do? In fact, in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, Jesus, it says, I mean, if you, if you read scripture, you, you realize that Jesus, he liked a good feast and he went to parties. He did. And it bothered people that he did. Not, not necessarily that he was in, in some, somewhat of proximity, but that he had relationship with, that he encountered and hung out with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, the marginalized, the furthest out, the people that did not have a shot with God. Like they couldn't get anywhere near the temple. Jesus, when he hung out, when you read, read scriptures, especially like in Luke chapter 15, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the, the religious people over here, he's talking to all of the people that are like, we have no shot to get anywhere near the temple or anything that having to do with God. Either they were diseased and couldn't get near the, the temple or they were, you know, adulterers. They were just sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. They were the people that the Pharisees wouldn't come near. That's Jesus would hang out with those people. And they couldn't stand it. It drove them crazy. And Jesus was clear with them. I didn't come. Hey, I just want to let you know. I came for the sick. I came for the sick. I, I didn't come to condemn. You guys are on kind of the con condemnation route. I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. John 3.17. Almost good, better than 3.16. I, I, came to, I came to save. I came to restore. And I'm not, I'm not coming for the well. I've come for the sick. You know, I'm going after the lost sheep. The 99 righteous, you know what? The people that think they're quote-unquote righteous, that's not who I'm after. I'm after the, the, the sinner that repents. And that, in fact, there's a huge party in heaven that happens when one sinner repents. Way more than the 99 righteous people that think they got it all together. So Jesus was the one that was more real than religious. That's the way that, that he operated. That's the way that he did things here on planet earth. And it's a great representation of hospitality. And it's, it's magnetic to the, outs, to, to the world that doesn't know Jesus. Nobody, nobody's looking. Right now, if they're searching and they're open, religion is not what they're looking for. They're looking for something that will redeem their life. And it certainly won't be religion. You know, my experience, you know why? I, I mean, I, I remember that this convergence of life in 2003, 2004, where I'd been to church and religious world was over here and life was over here. And this is kind of how it happened. I had, you know, you had church people that, you know, you said 
religious stupid things around, you know. Hey, brother, how you doing? Are we going to fellowship tomorrow, you know? And where does that come from? Like, what is, what is that all about? And then I started going to church with a group of people where life and, like, spirituality kind of just all exploded together. Like, they were, they, I, the same people I was going to church with was the same people that I was hanging out with on the weekends and doing, you know. And it wasn't that all of a sudden I'd gotten a whole lot better. Like, I was like, I'm just... You know, I'm going to, now that these people are very, you know, white, bright, and polite, I'm going to hang out with them. And I've got to get all cleaned up before I hang out with them. No, it's that they were real and they were raw and they had been changed by Jesus. A couple of them are visiting me today. Shane Fowler, I see you over there. Me and this guy right here in the pink shirt, that's Shane. Say hi, Shane. He's going to kill me. Um, (laughs) Me, him, and Dan McFerrin, one of your elders here, we all started hanging out together and doing Bible studies together and you know, I think religious people would have sat in on our Bible study. In fact, I think we had a few that sat in occasionally and would be very uncomfortable in the subject matter because we were talking about life. I mean, you remember, it, what was it? Pizza Palace, bacon and black olive pizza. We would talk about some of the craziest stuff that was going on in our lives, but it was real and it wasn't religious and our lives were being changed. And it's funny, everybody, I think at that table, other than Dan McFerrin, ended up either a missionary or in ministry. I mean, everybody kind of exploded out. And Dan certainly is in ministry. He's an elder of a church. He preaches here, and he, you know, is an an ambassador for the name of Jesus in his workplace and everywhere he goes. So it's just, I I love that, that magnetic kind of thing that happens. I think new Christians have that, this this realness. They don't even know how to be religious. They just come on the scene. All they know how to, to say is, I was blind and now I see. I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead and now I'm alive. They, they don't know anything else. Like, I don't know what your, you know, all your religion stuff is. They don't know how to, they don't, they don't even know how to say fellowship. I mean, they just don't know it. You know, we need to quit teaching people those stupid words. <laughs> you know, I love the life course. The life course made people uncomfortable because it was, it, it just made religious people uncomfortable. They would show clips of of Ricky Bobby talking about Jesus and everybody would be weirded out by it. Like people that are at church, did they show Talladega Nights at church? I mean, they couldn't believe it, you know, that he was, you know, they're showing the eight pound, six pounds baby Jesus quote, you know, I love him, I love him. He's cuddly, but yet omnipotent. And people would be super uncomfortable, like people that have been to church. I mean, life course, it starts in a bar. You talk about being real and not religious. That bothers people to this day. I remember I was doing college ministry at River City, and I didn't even know why there was like 30 college students that got, that just all of a sudden disappeared at River City Church. Like, and I was in college ministry, so that was a big deal. I was like, where did they all go? And apparently one of the college ministries got really upset about the life course because it was the, the, the opening kind of night or session was, uh, it was, was in a bar. And uh, I, I had no idea, but it's because... People, that, that, that's their thing. They, they immediately think. They didn't even think, okay, this entire church ministers at the city rescue mission, and every Sunday there's about 55 or 60 recovering addicts, people that have been on, you know, off of the street either nine months or 10 minutes, and, and it's, it, the church had given its life away to people in addiction. But none of that, you know, matters. It's just you think religiously, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, you can't go to that church. It's of the devil, you know? I mean, if you've grown up in those worlds, like, I... You know, I grew up, I lived footloose. Like, we didn't have a, you know, like, the, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you that are too young to even think, they're like, the new footloose is not fun. You can't watch that one. Kevin Bacon, you know, if it's got a bacon in it, it's good, right? I lived that. Jesus knew 
He knew that he wanted to get right where people were. And the, the second thing is that Jesus prioritized people over protocol. I mean, you look at the story of Zacchaeus. And the protocol would be for religious people not to hang out with a person like Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. He was short. You know, I mean, that didn't, wasn't the knock against him, but he was short. He was probably rejected by people. Uh, nobody liked him because he was a tax collector. They were very just looked down upon in that culture. And what happens? Jesus, now he's, he's almost rock star status. He hated it, but people were following around because he, you know, he'd been healing people, turned water into wine. He had done some amazing things, and people thought he, he changed his lives. The people that had no shot with God are now thinking it might be possible through him that they have a shot with God. We might be healed. We might experience the things of God, and they never could. So they're following Jesus around and thinking, you know, what's he going to do next? And Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, and he can't see him because he's short. I mean, you know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Somebody's singing, I hear you. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for Jesus he wanted to see. All right, Zacchaeus, you come down. All right, I'm done. But he climbed up in a tree. He climbed up in a tree so he could see Jesus. And Jesus knew as he's walking that somebody was watching him. And he turns and he looks and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go to your house today. And this is what they said. They were, they were very upset with him. Like the, the religious people. Can you imagine? I mean, somebody that needs, needs to have their heart re-engineered. But it says all the people saw this, and they were probably jealous, began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus... He wasn't about trying to figure out, and it wasn't that he was breaking like laws, sin laws. It was just the protocols. That's what was expected. This is what's expected in church. This is how people act in church. I mean, I grew up in an environment where like being loud, like partying or shouting, even raising hands makes, made people feel uncomfortable. Like we're supposed to be, you know, comfortable, you know. We're going to sing, flip to page 439, and we are going to sing, Two stanzas of just as I am. And that's kind of the way that you did it. And Jesus broke those protocols. He put himself in positions to bring himself into situations where it was not religious. He wasn't worried about the protocols. He was worried about people and who they were. And what's crazy is we, we, get, a, we get an opportunity. I think sometimes we think about just carrying the name of Jesus and, and talking to people as the thing that we have to do as church people. Like, oh, I got to, you know, it's part of the deal. You know, you go to church and I'm supposed to invite somebody. Dave always gets up and says, invite anyone and everyone. And we got to do it, <laughs> right? But I, it, it's when you think about the word ambassador, because that's what 2 Corinthians is, that, that we have the ministry of reconciliation and now we get to be ambassadors of this amazing thing that's happened to us. I think about the, the like my son, he loves movies, like, and he knows them all. Like, he watches them all, and he doesn't just watch them once. He watches them once to see if they're good in, in, in detail. He, he recognizes all the stuff, and then he wants to watch them with us and watch them with his friends and then watch them again and again. And the reason is, is he enjoys it. He experiences it, and then he's like, I want somebody else to experience this. And he literally will be watching. We were just watching a movie the other day, and we're watching it and watching how, you know, how good it is. He is a great movie critic. I'll give you his information on Instagram. Um, he, you, you, he, he literally just watches you watch because he wants to, he's just so amped, you know, it's just like when you take somebody to the restaurant and the steak is that good, you're just watching them cut into it and you're watching them take that first bite. You're like, Oh, here it goes. Mind blown. You know, it's, it's that 
It's like we, we miss that, that we've experienced the most amazing thing on the planet. We've, we've experienced what, it, what we were created for. We were created by and for Jesus. And now we've been reunited because of the blood of Jesus being poured out at Mount Calvary. You and I can be in relationship with God, who we were always meant to be with. It's changed. And now we get to bring that to the rest of the world. So Jesus is breaking protocols in order to reach people. And thirdly, Jesus meets people in their mess right where they are. I mean, if you think about Scripture, and you, 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 it's just story after story after story. You, know, you see the, the story of the woman at the well. Jesus is he's doing all of them. He's being real and not religious. He's you know, breaking protocol in order to, to meet people, but he's meeting her right where, where she is, right in the mess. I mean, what you know about her, she's meeting at the, at the well at, at noon instead of early in the morning or the evening where it's cooler, where most of the people would. She goes there, you know, according to commentary, the likelihood is the reason is because she was an adulterer or because of her reputation of having a lot of husbands. And so she didn't want to hear all the chit-chat or the chatter or, you know, that she would be condemned and probably have to wait in line. They would probably reject her and push her away. So she goes there when she knows nobody else is going to be there. Well, who does she run into? Jesus coming right into the mess, coming right there. And he, and he doesn't, it doesn't, she tries to pull the conversation into a religious conversation. When's, you know, you know, when's worship going to be different? How are we going to, who's, you know, we're going to worship on this mountain? What's, what's the right worship? Do we worship here in Samaria on this mountain? Do we worship in Jerusalem? Do we worship this way? What's the right way? And he, he kind of shoves that to the side. He makes a clarifying statement, but he ends up asking her where, you know, where's your husband? She's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, I know you've had five husbands and the one you're with now isn't your husband. She's like, you know, she's all freaked out. She's like, he knows everything about me. How is this possible? And so truthfully and gently, he's leading her to this place of saying, you're drinking from the wrong well. You're drinking from the wrong, like you've been, you think you're gonna find a man that's going to give you everything that you need. He is gonna solve all your problems. He is just the best. And we all know that, that have been married. Like they don't. Men do not solve all the problems. Uh, they don't fill that little God-shaped hole in your heart. They, and he's telling her, You've gone one, two, three, four, and five, and you're, you're looking for the love and the approval and all of this stuff from a man, and now you're on number six, and it's not going to happen. You, you, you have no idea who's standing before you. I've got the wellspring of life. I've got the water that you need. You've been drinking from the wrong well, and he meets her right where she is. I mean, it's the essence of what, the way you see missionaries in the New Testament. You look at the Apostle Paul. He goes to the Areopagus, Acts chapter 17. What does he do when he rolls on the scene? Paul was an amazing missionary, but he would roll into town. He was there before all of his friends, and he spends almost a day looking around, saying, who are these people? What are they, what are they into? What are they like? And he sees the pantheon of gods. He, he even learns some of the pagan poetry. And then he, he gets into the place of discussion where they're discussing, discussing the things that are spiritual. They're discussing philosophies of life. And he says, hey, you guys, I know, I know that you say this. You know, you say in him, you, you, you live and move and have your being. And you've got this inscription of the unknown God. You've got this, all these gods, and then you've got a catch-all God, this unknown God, just in case you've missed it with all these. He's like, I know what you're, when you, when you, when you quote that poetry, when you, when you have this God, I know this God. And he gently and sweetly meets them right where they are. The Apostle Paul, I love this translation in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, how the Apostle Paul says this. He's talking to the church at Corinth. He says, look, 
and even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, meaning God's freed me from all that. I don't have to please any. I'm not here to please or get the approval of man. But guess what? Because of what's happened in me, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. He's talking about empathy right here. Listen to this. He's like, I want to, I want to reach these people. The religious people, I want to reach them. The non-religious, the meticulous moralists, the loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. Anybody. I want anyone and everyone. He says, I didn't take on their way of life. I didn't enter their world just to take on their way of life and be absorbed by culture. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But listen to this. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing on social media? You know what I mean? Being able to tolerate somebody else's point of view without exploding. Because, you know, every time you, you know, post something on social media to try to change somebody's mind, it always happens, right? Um, but you go, you go down this road and he, keeps, he goes, look, I've kept my bearings in Christ. I want to experience things. He says, I want to I not just stand up on my high horse and go, this is the way that it is. I see that you're sinful. I've got something for you. No, he wants to get down on their level and actually say, I understand who you are. I'm not just a sinner. I'm the chief of sinners. I know what it's like to be you. I know what it's like to experience pain. I know what it's like to be single. I know what it's like to be lonely. I'm sure the Apostle Paul could say all of those things. He says, I want to have empathy. I want to, I want to be in the pit with you and see things from your point of view because I want to minister to you. I want to bring you the good news. And he says, I've done this. I've become this. Just about every sort of servant there is and attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. And I did it all because of the message, because of the gospel. And I love this because it leads us into that place of the life course. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I want to be in on it. I want to be in. Don't you want to be in on it? This doesn't seem like a burden to me. It seems like I get to introduce people to the best thing ever. This guy that will meet me in the, in the worst of circumstances, in the, in the brokenness of my life. Jesus can meet us in our pain and our brokenness. You know, I was thinking about this. I was on, I was, uh, on like a short vacation. I didn't take the Sunday off, but I was, had a couple days off during the week to go uh, to the, this place. It's right at the mouth of the Gulf of Mexico in nowhere, like nowhere land. Like it is, I mean, it is just a redneck dream. I mean, it is amazing. Like all you can do is, you know, you eat, sleep, and fish. I mean, there's just nothing else to do. I mean, there's, there's no grocery, Dollar General. That's all you see anywhere. But it's like macked out in the Dollar General. Like they got like full on deli and meat section and fruits and vegetables. And there's like guys cruising through there with the fish they just caught in the Dollar General. It's awesome. But there's nothing out there. Like it is nowhere land. And we, at night, it's, it's like being out in the middle of a field. But you're right at the, Gulf, the, the mouth of the Gulf of Mexico. And it, it, it was a clear night. And you know when it's that clear and you're out away from the city? I mean, I, you look up and, I mean, you could see all of the Milky Way. Like, just all the, the vapor and all the stuff from the Milky Way. Like, it was just overwhelming. And it's shooting star season. So if you're outside and you get far enough away from the city, this is the season where you see a lot of shit. And, and it was like, there was a handful of us out on the dock just looking up, going, look, there's one. You know how it goes. Like, there's one. I missed it. You know, there's always somebody out there who's like, I haven't seen one. And, uh... I, so I, I got, got super excited because I, 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 love, I love space. I was looking up at, at, at the sky, and I run up to the house, and I grabbed Beth. I was like, you've got to come outside and see this. It's amazing. 
So we shut off the rest of the lights of the house so we could even see it better. And we just sat out there. It seemed like 15 minutes and two, it was two and a half hours. And we're all just sitting there having this discussion going, how can you not think that God doesn't exist? You know, and, I, and you think about right there at Genesis 1, like there was nothing. And he says, let there be light. And then he, you see the rest of that passage. He's speaking, literally breathing everything that we're looking at right now into existence. Star breather, like he's, he's every shooting star. He's the one, he's the one who created the Milky Way. And then you look at scripture. I mean, it made me, this, this week I was thinking like, Jesus is the one that did all this. Colossians 1 says, you know, he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation, over heaven, over earth. All things were created by him. Him, pronoun, being Jesus. All things were created by him and for him. He did it all. He spread it out. He, he breathed it all into existence. But then you think about Jesus and the way that he operates, that the fact that he meets us in our pain, in our brokenness, in our mess, right where we are. John chapter five, I love this story. It's a story of the five colonnades. You've got these five colonnades and you've got this, this pool that's, that's right there. And you've got all these people that are hanging around this pool that are rejects in society because they've got all kinds of diseases. They're, they're, they're lame, they can't walk, they're paralyzed, there's invalids, there's blind people. They're all around this pool. And if you read your Bible, you'll see some of you have like a side note that tells you why they're there. Like it gives you an idea and it, you drop down and you look and it says the reason that they're there is what people said was that the, an angel would come and stir. They wouldn't see it, but they would see a stirring in the water. And if the water was stirred, if you jumped in the, in the pool at the right time, you would get healed. So you can imagine people were like, whatever that is, I want some of that. So there would just be, there was people everywhere. And then guess what? Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus comes on the scene. And it says in this passage, it says, uh, in verse 6, it says, When Jesus saw him lying there, think about this. Star breather. This is the guy that put the Milky Way. Just That's one of you know, innumerable amounts of gal galaxies, which were like a, just a fragment, not even dust on a sunbeam. I mean, we are on the outer edge of this galaxy. He created it, and he's walking on planet Earth. And he's walking towards this guy who has no idea that Galaxy Maker is walking at him. He saw him lying there and he learned what his condition was and that he had been in that condition for a long time. And then he asked him a question that I think, you know, I don't know if it's the question I would have asked, but he's Jesus. He says, do you want to get well? I mean, yeah, right? Of course you do. And the response, the, the, guy, the guy says, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. And this is, this is why I love Jesus. Because Jesus comes, and he comes right to the person that can't do it on their own. And this is the essence of the gospel, right? He's coming right in the, in the midst of, of the one that, that can't do it on their own. The, the one that created everything. We look up, and we're in awe. He comes right down into the brokenness to the person that can't do it on their own, you and me. Leaves glory behind, leaves his scepter of authority behind, doesn't consider himself, but becomes, becomes nothing. Walks planet earth, suffers like you, gets his heart broken like yours, watches people die that he loves, gets rejected by his friends, 
gets beaten and bloodied, walks the road to Calvary, bleeds out for you and me, gives his life away, comes right into the spaces where we are. And look how the story continues. I love this. Jesus, star breather, Milky Way creator. Jesus says to him, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. I love this because I, I, I kept thinking, why is it, you know, what, what, all the things that Jesus could have done, but he did it this way and it's pretty amazing. He could have, he could have helped the guy, like looked around and said, look, you know, you can't walk, so you're probably low profile. You can't see what's happening. You can't see when the water's getting stirred and you can't see people running at it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. I'm going to give you a, you know, a shout out. Go, water stirred, and you can jump in there, right? I'll tell you what's happening. You know, give them some tips. And then, you know, we're, I'm a carpenter. You know, look, I got some guns. I, you know, I can pick you up, and I'll just wait, and we'll just wait here when the water's stirred. Nobody else is going to have a shot at it. I'll just, boo, you know, just drop you in. But Jesus... Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to help you get to the water. Like, you, you need to get to the water. I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to help you figure out how to do it right and make it. He doesn't, he doesn't, that's not what Jesus isn't asking us to go, go find the water. Jesus himself is the water. It's not, how do I get in the water? It's the water is coming to me. How do I get in the pool? No, the pool is coming to me. It's Jesus coming all the way to where you are. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I just think about it. Like, I think we, we think about Jesus in this, this strange way. And the way that Jesus works, I mean, if you imagine this, he's the, 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 the one that created the galaxies and put the, the way he's, he's coming all the way down to, to where we are. And he's walking. I mean, think about, think about the colonnades. Like he's walking around and he's walking through people. It's personal, right? He's in, he's in the midst of everybody. And looking around, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, why isn't he healing everybody? But the, the, the beauty of this is, I think we think that. We take Jesus out, well, he loves everyone. He loves the whole world, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. But look at the essence of the stories in scripture. He's walking through the colonnades. He's stepping over people. He's moving towards this guy that, that has been alone for 38 years. He's not had people for 38 years. He's been broken and rejected for 38 years. He doesn't know what it feels like to be loved. And here comes Jesus all the way down. He's moving all the way through everybody. Isn't that crazy? And then he comes in and he's, he's like individually to one person. Brings life, brings healing, brings restoration. And it's what we need. I, I mean, one of the things that the human heart needs more than anything is to know that we're worthy of that. And not only was he worthy because he felt worthless, but the, the creator of the universe, the one that spread out the Milky Way is coming to him saying, I'm here for you. You can't do it on your own, but I, it's my joy to come here for you. That is a game changer. That is a life-changing thought for you and for me. And I don't know where you've come from. I don't know how you walked in here or what your story is. But Jesus is here right now in this space by the power of his spirit. He's encountering some of you right now in and through his word. He's been doing it in and through worship. He's been speaking those words over you that I've come for you. I've come 
Let's stand. You know, as we sing together, as we respond, I just want you to just allow the Holy Spirit, just allow God to, to speak to you. And some of you, I know he's already speaking to you. I think it started when Gerald just proclaimed over, over some people in here that you walked in feeling lost, abandoned, hurt, in need of healing, with brokenness in your heart, frustration, maybe angry at God, maybe angry at church. And I'm telling you, Jesus loves you. And you're not here by accident. You're not here because your friend invited you and you've been resisting it and you're trying to say, all right, I'll go once and you're trying to get him to be quiet. You're here because God in his sovereignty has you here in this moment right now and he's meeting you and coming for you. So as we sing, just allow the, the spirit of God to speak over you, to meet you in this space. God, we love you. We love who you are. We love that your word always leads us to the same end to you, Jesus, to your redemption, to your power, to your resurrection, to the fact that this isn't the end of the story. Just come, Holy Spirit.